All right, if you haven't been, been with us the past few weeks at Grace Community Church on Sunday mornings, we've been walking through, can y'all hear me in the back? We've been walking through biblical doctrines that pertain to the local church. And the reason that we're doing this is very simple. We love Jesus. Uh, we love Jesus and we're not perfect. So when you smash those two things together, that means we have a desire to grow as a local church. We want to grow more and more into the likeness of our Lord. And so we've been doing that. We've been zoning in on biblical truths uh, during these weeks that pertain specifically to the local church. And today we're going to zone in on corporate worship. This is what we're going to focus in on this morning, corporate worship. And I want us to pay extra close attention today. We always pay extra close attention, so I know that's a little silly when God's Word is preached, but I want us as a local church to pay extra close attention today because I believe that this is a much-needed area of growth in our church. So let's corporately, all of us, corporately lean in and listen to what the Holy Spirit says to us today through His Word. Deal? Deal? Okay. Are you ready to hear the Word of God today? You came to hear the Word of God. You didn't come to hear a man give you a lecture. You didn't come to hear jokes. You came to hear God speak to you. And so the question is, did you come expecting? Do you really believe? Do you really believe? How's your level of confidence in this? That in the next hour that God can pierce your heart with something. That He can show you something about Himself that you've never seen before. Something that you've never considered. And so with this in mind, we're about to pray. Now I'm going to pray. But the way that this works is every single believer in this room has the Holy Spirit of God and you have blood-bought access to the throne of God. So I'm going to pray, but we're all going to God and we're going to ask God to do that. We're going to ask God to meet with us today. And all across this room, 100 deep, 100 plus people are going to cry out to God, God, speak to us, speak to me, speak to my neighbor, speak something helpful, speak something powerful from your word. So let's do that. Let's call on God together. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you today. As your people, Lord, and we are, Lord, we are yours. God, we belong to you. We have been purchased by your blood, Lord Jesus, and we belong to you not just today, Lord, not just in this life. We belong to you forever, Lord Jesus. And so we come to you, Lord, with cries, God, and we we cry out to you, God, that you would meet with us. We long to know you more, Lord Jesus. We long to be more like you. And so we cry out to you, Lord. Father, speak to us today from your word. God, we confess that unless you meet with us, unless you speak to us from your word today, God, we gather in vain. But Lord, if we hear from you, Lord, this this changes everything. This changes us, God. This makes us more like you. And so we pray that you would get the praise that you deserve from this meeting today. We pray, God, that you would draw near in power by your Holy Spirit and that you would speak to us from your word. God, I pray for this church. God, I pray for this church. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear. God, I pray for our confidence, Lord. I pray that you fill us with confidence and expectancy, God, to hear your word, just like it was prayed earlier, be like a fire and a hammer. And so, Lord, I pray that you drive it into our bones today. And Lord, I pray for anyone lost this morning. God, I pray that you would just thunder from the heavens in their life and that you would reveal the Lord Jesus and all his glory to them this morning. God, I pray for them. I pray, God, that you'd open their eyes. Lord, as we look at your word, your word of power, your living word, God, I pray you'd open their eyes and that you would show them the glory of Christ. God, I pray this morning that you would help me to preach your word with the strength that you supply. So, Lord, our prayer this morning is is that you would glorify your name 
in our midst, that you would glorify your name in this place today, Lord Jesus, and that you would, that you would reign supreme, that you would be God above all, and that you would take your rightful place in this next hour, Lord. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, our text this morning is going to be Psalm 95, the first seven verses. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. But just get there and hold your place because before we unpack that text, I'm going to do a little bit longer uh, getting to this text than I normally would because I want us to go to Psalm 95 and to corporate worship from the proper perspective. Okay, And so I want to spend just a moment... I want to engage you and draw you into a conversation. And what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to get a biblical view. 10,000 feet up in the air, maybe even 30,000. My point is a really high view of God's church and of this time and God's, the purpose of God's church. And so let's spend some time unpacking this and remind ourselves of some biblical truths of the church and why she exists and, and how she is unique. So here it is. The church is the body of Christ. The church are the people that have been saved by Jesus. That's us. Every single uh, person in the history of the world that has been saved by Jesus, this is the church. And there are many things that distinguish the church from the world, but the ultimate thing that distinguishes us, we are the ones that have been called out of the world. The ultimate thing that distinguishes us is that we get God. Y'all have heard me say that so many times. You, you probably are getting, getting old. This is getting old to you. We are the only people on the planet that get God. We have God. And 1 Peter 3.18 teaches this. It tells us that through the death of Jesus, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God. And so through the death of Christ, the church has been brought to God. We get God. We have God, this is what makes us unique. We're the only people that get Him and we have Him. And then listen to Exodus 33, 16. This vividly describes what sets us apart from all the other peoples on the planet. Exodus 33, 16 says, it's a prayer of Moses. He says, For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? And listen to this. Is it not... In your going with us so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth. Did you catch that? Our only boast as God's church, the ultimate thing that sets us apart from the world, is that we have been called into a relationship with the living God. We have God. We have His presence. His presence is with us. This is what makes us different. We have God. So, but why does the church exist? So the church is called out of the world and the church gets God, but the question of the hour is why? What is the ultimate reason that the church exists? Now, there are many people who would answer that question differently, but the Word of God is clear on this. Okay? Maybe some gut reaction to that question would be that the church exists for missions or the church exists to serve God in the world, but this is not the ultimate end of the church. The ultimate end of the church is worship. The ultimate reason why the church exists is worship. Now, I could spend, and I'm serious on this, I could spend an entire teaching unpacking that truth from the Word of God, from Genesis to Revelation, that the worship of God sits above the work of God. It drives the work of God. Worship is king. Worship God is king, not work for God. It fuels 
the work for God. But I'm only going to give you one verse, and then we're going to blast right through this. Romans 15, verse 8. Romans 15, verse 8. It tells us that Jesus came as a servant into this world to confirm the promise made to Abraham. God gave all, an all-nations promise to a man named Abraham. And Romans 15.8 says that Jesus came as a servant to confirm that promise. And then the very next verse, Romans 15, verse 9, says that. He did it that. The Gentiles, that's us, might glorify God for His mercy. Let this sink in for a moment. You mean to tell me that the reason that Jesus came, ultimately... He confirmed a promise and then there was something after that so that the Gentiles would stand and they would praise God for His mercy forever and ever and ever. This is why Jesus came. This is why the church exists. Worship is ultimate. It sits at the very, very, very top of the Christian life of the church. So, what is worship? Moving right through, what is worship? Worship, the word literally means to ascribe ultimate worth to someone or something. When we say worship God, we worship God, we ascribe ultimate worth, ultimate value to God. God becomes our ultimate treasure, our chief desire. This is what it means to worship God. I want you to notice two essential components to worship. I know we're moving fast, but we're trying to get to Psalm 95. Two essential components to worship. First, something happens on the inside. God stirs our affections with Himself and He becomes valuable to us. He becomes our ultimate treasure. And then what's on the inside comes outside and we ascribe God His worth. We ascribe His worth to Him. This is worship. Something happens on the inside and what's on the inside explodes out of the mouth towards God Himself. This is worship. This is why the church exists. This is the highest in for the church. So I want to be clear about something. I know I said this just a second ago. Worship by definition, we can talk about this more later, worship by definition is not the things that you do for God. Worship by definition is the thing you do to God Himself. Worship is not horizontal. Worship is vertical communication to the living God. So we need to be clear there because we're saying that something sits at the very top and we as Grace Community Church, a church of Jesus Christ, our ultimate reason why we exist is to stand in God's presence and to sing God's praise. Vertical, not horizontal. The vertical is at the very top. This is why we're a church. At the highest end, this is why we exist. Worship is the chief end of the church. I want to hit one more thing. We cannot worship God unless God reveals Himself to us. Our worship is dependent on a revelation of God. We must see God, and God must reveal Himself to us if we are to ever worship. This means that God initiates every single act of worship in His church. We cannot worship without Him. Listen to Revelation 15, verse 4. It says this, Who will not fear, O Lord, And glorify your name. For you alone are holy. And all nations will come and worship you. All nations will come and worship you. Why? And we'll finish the verse. Why will they come? It says, for your righteous acts have been revealed. 
You see that? God shows Himself in glory and power. He reveals Himself and the nations come bowing down and worshiping the King. And unless God reveals Himself, we can never worship Him. It's dependent on a revelation of God. So this is high, high up. This is what worship is. This is why the church of Jesus exists. So bring all that exalted truth. And we're here this morning. It's Sunday morning. We're gathered together as a New Testament church. And we do this every week here. Okay? And so you bring all this exalted truth down. And why are we here? What is the ultimate reason why you came to church this morning? What is the ultimate reason of why we're gathered together in the name of Jesus? And it's, it's not going to surprise you if you've been paying attention that the ultimate reason of why we're here, the ultimate reason of why we're gathered together is to encounter God, not to meet with people. The ultimate reason of why we're here is to encounter God, not to meet with people. We are here mainly and ultimately for the exaltation of God, not the edification of man. Ultimately, the exaltation of God is at the very top. If this doesn't happen, our meeting is in vain. This is a futile time. This is the ultimate end of the church, and this is the ultimate end of every church gathering. The whole church meeting has this aim. When we come from the moment we start to the moment we finish, our responsibility is to meet with God, to worship God in every single aspect of the gathering. Okay, in, in the Lord's Supper, that's what's supposed to be going down in prayer. It's supposed to be going down in preaching, even in preaching. The main goal is not that you, sh- that you would know something. and Oh, I, lear- I learned something today. I never, I never saw that before. Even past that, you learned something about God. And so there's communication from God's Word happening during preaching that's supposed to make you praise the God of the Bible. Even preaching, the end goal of preaching is worship. But there's something that happens every single week when we gather where this, where this corporate Worship, it happens distinctly. We lean in and we get closer to eternity than we ever get in anything else when we lean in together and we begin to interact with God with direct vertical communication. We praise His name. This is corporate worship. This is some call it gathered praise. And the reason I spent such a long introduction on this, I want you to see how important this is. Sometimes we are off in the way that we judge uh, healthy mature local churches it's all about the preaching and if the preaching is good that's a healthy church not so according to what we looked at there's got to be some affection happening to king jesus when the people of god gather do you see that do you see how important this is and so i want to come at this we at grace community church we need humility we need some humility before we unpack psalm 95 we need some humility to confess that our corporate worship often Not always, but it's often. It's not marked by fervency and expression to King Jesus. We want to be there as a church, but very often we're not there. Not always, but very often we're not there as a church. This is a continuing weakness at this church. This is not the first time you've heard this. So the reason such a long introduction is that you wouldn't just blow that off, that you wouldn't blow right past it. This is a weakness. It must be strengthened. This is a big deal to God. This is a big deal to God. The ultimate reason why we gather every Sunday is to stand in God's presence and sing His praise. I hope that fires you up just to even think about that. This is why I'm a Christian. This is why all of us are Christians. And this is why we're gathered today. To sing to King Jesus. To give Him the praise that He deserves.
the foundation has been laid regarding the importance of corporate worship. We have to get our minds renewed to something today. We've been asking God for a long time that God would show us something from His Word. And this is how transformation always happens in the Christian life. We're transformed by the renewing of the mind. So we're praying that the Holy Spirit would open something up from His Word this morning, that you would see something about worship that you've never seen before, that you've never considered before. And so all over this room, we're, we're expecting this to happen this morning. We're crying out to God to teach us to worship. So our chief business every week is to give God worship. Or listen to this, Psalm 66, verse 2. To give God glorious praise. Did you know that was your job when you were driving in this morning? That you're driving in, maybe it takes you five minutes, maybe it takes you 20. You stroll across the parking lot, you come in, and you greet some people, and you sit down and you hear some things, and then you stand up. And in that moment where that vertical communication between you and God begins to happen, God expects that you, every Christian in the room, give Him not just so-so praise, but glorious praise. The praise that He deserves. That you would ascribe to Him the glory due His name. Do you feel the weight of that? Is that what you're thinking about when you're coming in, that you're about to stand in the presence of God like a priest at His altar, that you're about to worship the Lord? So our desire is that we would begin to, to think more like this, that we would prepare to meet with God as we're coming together every week. And so I say this, and I know every Christian in the room would agree with me and, and the, with this prayer. May the Lord Jesus receive the glory due His name from Grace Community Church. Amen? May the Lord Jesus receive glorious praise, not so-so praise, praise full of affection, praise full of fervency and zeal from Grace Community Church. May He receive it because He's worthy of it. So this is our prayer. Lord, teach us to worship. Now we need to be calling out to God for this over the next few weeks and the next coming months. God, teach us to worship. When we gather together, let there be power in Your presence. Let there be adoration to Your name. And so I'm trying to stir you up. Make this a matter of prayer for the church. Not just that the church would work, but that the church would worship its God. This is the ultimate reason why we exist. Now, foundation is laid. And we need to grow. And we want to grow. And we want to learn from our God of how to worship Him when we gather together. And what we're going to do this morning is God's given us a, a, an inspired worship guide. And we're going to go into Psalm 95 with this aim. Lord, teach us to worship. Show us how to worship Your holy name. And Psalm 95 is going to do that. So turn in your Bibles and let's read together the first seven verses. And I want to just encourage you. Prepare to hear from the living God. This is the most important three minutes that you're going to hear today. This is the Word of God. Psalm 95, verses 1 through 7. It says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it. And His hands form the dry land. Oh, come, let us worship and bow down and kneel before the Lord our Maker. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. I love this passage. This is an awesome, awesome passage. 
So as we go through this, this is going to more, do more than teach us how to worship. This is going to call us into worshiping King Jesus. In my opinion, Psalm 95 is possibly one of the most comprehensive passages on worship in the entire Bible. And I say that because it answers almost all the questions. The who do we worship? How do we worship? What do we worship? Where do we worship? How do we do it? It answers all those questions. It fits so much together and it's comprehensive. Okay, And there's power here. So we're going to unpack this. And I just want to share this with you. I've been fired up about this psalm all week long. I've been sitting in this thing, studying God's Word. been showing me things over and over and over again. So what we're going to do is instead of walking through this thing phrase by phrase, we're going to pull out some truths to lay across this psalm. And we're going to go in numbers. And you see that on your study guide. So, number one of what we take from Psalm 95 is that worship is heart work, not merely intellectual. Worship is heart work, not merely intellectual. This psalm starts with a powerful little dynamite of a word. The word is O. Okay? And that word, this is a rebuke to any brainiacs in the room. Okay? Worship of God is heart work. The things about God grip the human soul to the point to where a grown man stands on his tiptoes and says, Oh, come, let us worship the Lord. Do you see that? Do you see that? It's not just let us come. It's, oh, he's moved. This is the language of beauty, the language of desire. You don't say, oh, in mathematics. This is, this is something that grips the soul. Okay? This is heart work. So we must come on Sundays ready to express our hearts to God, not just our brains, but our hearts to the Lord. We must be moved. And may that happen in your life a thousand times during the week that you bow down and you think, oh, Lord, look what you've done. Look who you are, Lord. Number two, worship must happen in the presence of God. Now, this is huge. Worship must happen in the presence of God. Notice the invitation to come into God's presence. Three times the word come is used in those first seven verses. It's used first in verse 1, and again in verse 2, and again in verse 6. Come. Come into His presence. Now, Let's talk about this. Some of us are off in our thinking about worship from the very beginning because you think the presence of God is automatic. And it's not. It's something that you must come into. It's something that you must enter into. This is what He's calling us to to every single week. To come into His presence. And here's what I mean. According to the Bible, the presence of God is twofold. Omnipresence and manifest presence. The omnipresence of God is the truth that God is everywhere in every moment, in every corner of His creation. There is nowhere in the universe where God is not present. And you see this mainly in Psalm 139. There is nowhere that you can go to flee from this God. He's present. He's omnipresent. But there's also manifest presence. And omnipresence is obviously not what the psalmist is calling the people of God into. Think about how silly that is. Enter into the omnipresence of God. That would presuppose what? That you are out of the omnipresence of God and that you come into it. Do you see that? That's the silliest thing that you can imagine. And so what he's doing is he's calling the people of God to enter into, to come into the manifest 
presence of God, to draw near to God's special presence, God's discernible presence, God's conscious presence, when he makes himself known in a special way. Probably the most famous passage of this in the Bible is 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. God especially makes himself known. I hope you know that God is present in his church more than he is present in, in some quiet corner of some national park somewhere. We have the manifest presence of God. We have access to God. Second Chronicles 7, verses 1 and 2 says this, As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices. And the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. So I'm saying that from Psalm 95, if we want to be a worshiping church, we need to be a people infatuated with the manifest presence of God. We need to be familiar with His manifest presence. We need to long for His manifest presence to be with God. And we need to ask God with desperate prayer, Lord, when we gather together in Your name, reveal Yourself to us, Lord. Draw near to us, Lord. Help us to sing Your praise in Your presence. The psalmist is calling people to enter God's presence. But think about this. We have more access to God than these Old Testament saints did in Psalm 95. Do you know that? Matthew 27, verse 51 tells us that as Jesus was dying on the cross, his dying moment. Something happens in the temple of God. Anybody know what it is? The veil. It says the veil was ripped in two. From top to bottom, God ripped the veil wide open in the temple. At the moment that the Savior, at the moment that the Savior gave his life. And what's the veil? The veil was the, the place that separated humanity from the dwelling place of God on earth. And Jesus dies and he rips it wide open. And so we know this, right? That as Christians, that every single one of us, we have access to the Holy of Holies, the very dwelling place of God because of what Jesus has done. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 and 22. This tells us that we have access through His blood, through the new and living way that Jesus has opened for us through His flesh. When is the last time that you thought about that? Not just one, but hundred deep in this room, a hundred plus in this room, can go straight to the Holy of Holies and worship their King. Through the living way, through the blood of Jesus. And then Hebrews 10 goes on to say, now what should we do with this access that we have that Jesus has provided for us? And Hebrews 10 lays a command. We draw near. We draw near to God. What a shame if we don't take advantage of this access that Jesus has given us. We draw near to God with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So we have access, every single one of us, to the Holy of Holies. Every single Sunday, we can stand in God's presence and sing His praise. This is the closest that a human being can get to God, and we can get there at any moment because of what Jesus has done. So, let me get personal for a second. As we're singing to God each week, is it your experience on a weekly basis that you experience the nearness of God, the closeness of God, that you have an experience, not just a thought, but an experience of, I, I, I feel close to the Lord. I discern His presence right now. Is that your weekly experience? And my question is, if not, why not? Jesus ripped the veil wide open and you have access to the Holy of Holies. It would be a great sin 
not to go in and to meet and to bless this God. This will happen only as we come prepared to worship Jesus. You need to come prepared as you're driving in Saturday, even during the week, that I'm a, we're about to stand corporately in God's presence and we're going to give God praise. Every single one of us have a birthright, blood-bought birthright, to go in and to worship God. Point number three. Truth number three. God desires to be worshipped corporately, not just individually. God desires to be worshipped corporately, not just individually. Notice the phrase, let us. We get it three times in Psalm 95. Verse 1, verse 2, and verse 6. Let us come. Let us come. Let us come. Not just me, but all of us. We, what this psalm calls us into is that God desires all His people to gather together and to give Him worship. Not just you in your room, but us together every single week. This is the picture. So we're not even halfway through verse 1. And here's the picture that we have in Psalm 95. All of the people of God leaned into God's manifest presence and ready to explode with praise to God. And this is the vision that you have to catch for Grace Community Church. You need to see us like that every single week. All of us together, let us lean into God's presence and sing God's praise. This is a beautiful vision and you must catch it together every week in the presence of the living God. Every week together in the presence of the living God. Church was never supposed to be a place where we come and talk about God to the exclusion of meeting with God. We have to meet with God. Meet with God or bust. That's the motto. This has to happen or we fail and it's in vain. Number four, worship involves a variety of authentic inward affections and outward expressions. And I'll say that one more time. Worship involves a variety of authentic inward affections and outward expressions. So I want you to notice the verbs scattered through Psalm 95. Let's roll through them real fast. Sing, make a joyful noise. Verse 1. Give thanks. Sing songs of praise. Verse 2. Worship, bow down, kneel. Verse 7. These are the descriptions of what happens in God's presence when He reveals Himself to His people. These are what we should be going after every week at Grace Community Church. This is glorious praise. This is the description of it. This is the way that the Lord is to be worshipped. Now I want you to notice the contrast. This is beautiful. Notice the contrast between exploding joy towards Jesus. I'm going to lift a shout of joy to the God of my salvation, the rock of my salvation. Exploding with joy and then go down to verse 6, and you see that somebody, he's getting low in the presence of God. Reverent fear in the presence of God. Do you see that? Local churches, they're almost always characterized by one or the other of those. You got happy, clappy churches, and then you got high, transcendent churches. Okay? But what Psalm 95 does is it holds those two things in tension that we explode with joy to our God, and then we come and we kneel down in the presence of God. This is the beautiful tension. Reminds me of Psalm 2. Psalm 2.11 says that in the presence of Jesus, we rejoice with trembling. And I know that there have been many times in your life where you experience that, where you're joyful, but at the same time you're trembling because He is a mighty God. 
But this mighty God has made a way for me to be saved, so I'm joyful, but I'm trembling in His presence. John Piper calls this gravity and gladness, and these should be the marks of our worship every single Sunday morning. And I want you to also notice in Psalm 95 that the inward affections are mixed with outward expressions. I want you to pay close attention to this. The inward affections are mixed and produce outward expressions. So the inward affections of joy and fear that we just talked about, they produce outward expressions of shouts of joy and bowing down in God's presence. So we can be so affected by God about truths about God and what He's done, that we actually shout to God in the gathering, in worship, and give Him praise. We can be so affected by the glory and the presence of God that the human body bows down and says, Lord, I can't even stand in Your presence. I'm overcome with Your glory. Did you know that could happen? The inward affections produce these outward expressions to the Lord of worship. This is glorious praise. And let's just go after this. King Jesus is worthy of this at Grace Community Church. We desperately need to hear this as a church. This worship of Jesus involves outward expressions such as actually singing. Did you know that you should actually sing when the church sings? That you should open your mouth and that song and and words should come out to Jesus. You should actually sing. And take it further. You should actually, at times, you should sing loud. You should shout, a joyful shout to God. Lift up a joyful noise to the Lord. You're supposed to be so affected by God that something happens in in outward expression to Jesus. So he says, come, let us sing to the Lord. God designed us as creatures that sing to Him. He made us like this and He desires and even commands that we sing to Him. So I want to go on record here and tell every single person in this room, you are free to sing to Jesus as loud as you possibly want to every single week. You're free to do that. You're free from this text and you're free right now from me. You can sing to Jesus as loud and as joyfully as you possibly want to every single week. And every neighbor in in this room that loves Jesus says, brother, you sing as loud as you want to to Jesus. You give Him glorious praise. Nobody's throwing penalty flags. In here, we're going after glorious praise to God. We see from this psalm that the presence of God affects what we do with our mouth and our bodies. Our mouth and our bodies. We can be so affected by God's presence that we bow down, that we kneel, that we stand up on our tiptoes and shout praises to God, that we lift up our hands, that we lift up our eyes, that we bow down in adoration. Do you see that? You need to know that. There is no such thing of worship of God that doesn't express itself in this outward way. This is the glorious praise that God desires. This is what the psalmist is calling the the people of God into and the Holy Spirit is calling us into today. That we would be so affected in the affections that it comes out in outward expression. And we especially need to grow in these outward expressions of praise to Jesus at this church. And I hope you say, Amen. Let's grow. Let's go after glorious praise of King Jesus. Drive coldness far from this place, Lord. Drive coldness far from this place, Lord. Have the worship that you're, that's due your name from us. Number five, worship is aimed to the Lord. Worship is aimed to the Lord. Jake mentioned this earlier. And in Psalm 95, you see the same thing. That all these verbs, all these songs and thanks and, and adoration, 
They're going straight to God Himself. They're terminating in God. We're not, I'm not singing to JR. I'm not singing to Bobby. I'm singing to the King of Glory. I'm speaking to God. Listen to Charles Spurgeon. He says, Very much religious singing is not to the Lord, but to the congregation. This needs to be corrected. And then he says, We need to give all of our hearts sincerity and fervency to the Lord Himself. I just say amen to that. And this is what we're going after every single week that we're encountering and singing to and adoring God. Now, if the audience of corporate worship is God, then this tells you a little bit about what should be happening in your life in the moments when we sing to God. If the audience of the worship is God, then your eyes aren't all over the place on man and seeing what man's doing because you're so focused in on God trying to give Him glorious praise. Do you see that? That you're dialed in, that you're in His presence, that you're thinking about His glory and you're singing and worshiping Him and giving Him glorious praise. This needs to happen. This is our duty that this happened every single week that we sing to the Lord. Oh, come and let us sing to the Lord. Number six, corporate worship is adoration of King Jesus. Corporate worship is adoration of King Jesus. So the best word that I can think, if I, you have all these verbs that I just told you about in Psalm 95, and the best word that I can think that describes all of them under one umbrella is the word adoration. That word gets at the affections and expression that, we, that Jesus is worthy in this church as we gather corporately, that we be so overcome that we give Him unashamed adoration every single week. And I want that phrase to stick out to you, unashamed adoration. Does that describe the way that you sing to God? Unashamed adoration. You're not worried about what other people think about you. That's called the fear of man. Can you imagine standing at the judgment seat and Jesus is giving inventory and you're giving an account of your worship to Him and, and he's, he's, he's giving you th- this about why didn't you give me this glorious praise and you say, well, so-and-so was a little uncomfortable with that. You think that's going to fly? Like your eyes are on man and, 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 his, and He's worthy of this praise and you let what man thinks stop you from giving Jesus glory, glorious praise. That's the fear of man. That's the fear of man. And it's also pride if you think you're a little too polished and above giving Jesus glorious praise, getting down low in His presence and shouting to God the Savior and you think you're above that. That's called pride. That's a manifestation of pride. Jesus must receive unashamed adoration from His church. I love that. So I want to make you aware of a cheap substitute to unashamed adoration. It's called factual worship. It's a cheap substitute to the real thing. Factual worship is when when we stand and when we gather together and we sing and the words that we sing are true and we sing them to God but they don't move the heart. That's called factual worship and it's a cheap substitute for real worship. Now, Of course, every single act of worship has to reflect biblical truth. There's no way around this. But worship should sound more like loving communication, reverent communication to God, than that you're reading a theological paper to someone. Factual worship needs to become disgusting to Grace Community Church. We need to be repulsed by the idea of worshiping Jesus without the emotions, without the expressions. Because Jesus is worthy of glorious praise. So, getting personal again. 
are your strongest, are your most passionate expressions on this planet, the most passionate expressions that you give as a human being, are they given to the Lord Jesus? Or are they given at a football game? And Bodie Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, say ouch. Answer that question. Are your most passionate expressions as a human being given to the Lord Jesus? So here's another one. As we gather together and we sing God's praise in His presence every week, are you personally, are you pushing the boundaries and the limits of your personal fervency to the Lord? Are you giving Him what that looks like for you? Are you giving Him white-hot praise every single week? Unashamed adoration. Or have you settled for less than this? Unashamed adoration. This is what every believer in this room will be doing in a million years. And then a million years later. And then a million years after that. You were created for this. Every single person was created for this. To give God His praise. So, this is the most powerful expression that you are capable of to God. Adoration. And then, just on top of that, I believe that this is the happiest that an individual can be. It's to stand in the presence of the fullness of joy and to give God the praise that's due His name. This is the happiest that you could possibly be. doesn't matter any circumstance going on in your life. This is how you go after joy. You stand in God's presence and you worship God. Unashamed adoration. So let's go after this. Sunday after Sunday, glorious praise to King Jesus. Number seven. Worship God for who He is and what He does. We worship God for who He is and what He does. I want you to see two categories in Psalm 95. Psalm 95 gives us reasons to worship God. And it does it with the word for. F-O-R. And it does it twice. So we have reasons to worship God for Psalm 95. Why should we give Jesus this unashamed adoration? Psalm 95 answers this question. In verse 3, we worship God because He is great. This is who He is. He's just a great God. He is great. And then in verse 7, we worship God because He has become our God. That's what He has done. We worship God for who He is and what He has done. Now these categories, these are biblical categories that you can find in other places. I'll read Psalm 145.5 to you. See if you can pick them out. On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your works, I will meditate. See that? Who He is and what He's done. Psalm 150 verse 2. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. We worship God for who He is and what He's done. The truths about who God is and what He's done they don't automatically come to your mind like they should. You are in a battle to see God every, rightly every single day when you wake up. In other words, when you get out of bed every morning, the first thoughts that are bouncing across your mind are not usually thoughts that are who God is and what He's done. You need to go to war to remind yourself of who God is and what He's done. So the only reason that we will ever not worship God and give Him glorious praise that He deserves is when we fail to see God for who He really is and what He's really done. We have to go to war to see God as He truly is. And here's what I mean. I've been thinking about this for a couple weeks. You see several instances in the Bible of, of, of a man, usually a prophet, and he draws near to God. 
And never ever in the Word of God do you see Him draw near and give out a yawn in God's presence or some kind of flippant expression in God's presence. Never does that happen. Every single time someone draws near, these, Isaiah 6, he's bowed down, hears angels praising God so loud it sounds like an earthquake, and he bows down and he's looking for a crack to slip through in the floor. I'm a man of unclean lips. There is no such thing as being, seeing God rightly and being unmoved. If you are unmoved, you are not seeing God rightly. So here's a few things to consider. God is a God of glory. Nowhere in the Bible do you see people bored in His presence. No one is bored in the presence of God. He is the God of glory. He is. God is beautiful. Nowhere in the Bible do you ever see someone indifferent or neutral to this God. He is glorious. He's beautiful. We must gaze upon His beauty. God is blazing holiness. And nowhere in the Bible do you see men cracking jokes in the presence of God because He's blazing holiness. It's impossible to see Him rightly and then not be affected. And it's impossible not to, to be affected and then not express this to God with glorious praise. So this is the battle. And this is, this is exactly what Psalm 95 calls us into. Why should we worship? Because this is who God is. And this is what God has done. So according to Psalm 95, who is God and what has He done? Who is God and what has He done? This is the part of the text that we're going way past instruction here. And the Holy Spirit of God, now He's revealing the God of glory to us. And so this is the call. Come and worship this God. Who He is and what He has done. This is why we should worship Him. God is transcendent. This is who He is. Verse 3, it says, The Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. This is who He is. Reality. He's a great God and a great King above all. If you wake up and you don't feel that, it doesn't change a lick because this is who He is. He's a great God and a great King above all. God is great. God is great. God's greatness doesn't just mean that He's above us, that we're a ten and He's a million. God's, that would put us in the same category. That's not what it means. God's greatness means that He is in a category all by Himself, all His own. He is not like us. He is great. Listen to Wayne Grudem here. He says, The difference between God's being and ours is more than the difference between the sun and a candle. More than the difference between the ocean and a raindrop. And then he says, No limitation of creation should be projected on our thought of God. So this great God, I want to remind you this morning, this great God, He has no limits. He has no limits. He's unbounded. You're a finite created being. He is an infinite God. He's a great God. So let the greatness of God explode any mental categories that you try to place Him in. He is great. He is not bound by time. God has no limitations. He's not bound by time. You are. He's not. Because He's the eternal God. Everlasting to everlasting, He is God. Alpha to Omega, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the eternal one. He's not bound by time. God is not bound by space. You are, He's not. 
He is present everywhere in His creation. He's omnipresent. He's the God who is there. He is the God who sees all things. God is not bound by knowledge. He knows all things. You don't, He does. There is no wisdom apart from this God. He is the only wise God. And oh, the depths of the riches of His wisdom and of His knowledge. This is who He is. He is great and He is infinite. God is not bound by power because He is the Almighty God. And nothing is too difficult for this God. God is great. He is great above all. He's in a category all by Himself. Our God is transcendent. This means He transcends any categories, finite categories that we try to put Him in. You try to put Him in a box, I want to caution you. He's going to explode any box you try to put Him in. This God is great. Job 11 verses 7-8 through eight says, Can you find out the deep things of God? Can you find out the limit of the Almighty? It is higher than heaven. What can you do? It's deeper than Sheol. What can you know? You can't find out the limits of this God because He is great. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. You'll never hit the bottom of it because it's infinite. This God is great. There is no end to His greatness. Now the question is, does that sound like a God that you should worship? Does that sound like the God that you should come and that you should bow down and kneel before this God? And so let's give Him the praise that He deserves in His church. God is great. And God is also King above all. God is also King above all in verse 3. He is the supreme ruler with complete power and dominion. He is the King of kings and the blessed and only sovereign. He answers to no one and He rules over all that He has made. Psalm 115 verse 3 says, Our God is in the heavens and He does whatever He pleases. He does what He wants anytime He wants. He does every ounce of what He wants and He asks answers to no one and He asks no one any questions. Daniel verse chapter 4 verses 34 and 35. This is the great King above all. His dominion is an everlasting dominion and His kingdom endures from generation to generation all. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And He does according to His will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none, none can say to Him, what have you done? And none can stay His hand. He is King over all. He answers to no one. This is our God. This is our God. Abraham Kuyper says, There is not one square inch in the whole domain of human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, Mine, over every square inch that He's made. Everything is His, and He rules over all that He has made. Now my question to you is this. Does this holy, sovereign King, reigning in sovereign majesty, God over all, King above everything that He has made, does that sound like a God that you should worship? then let's give Him glorious praise that He deserves from His church. This is who He is. But what has He done? This is the great God and the great King. But what has this great God and this great King done? God is Creator. God is Creator. Verses 4 and 5 say this, In His hand are the depths of the earth and the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. 
This is God's powerful work of creation. So before he ever, before Genesis 1-1 ever happens, everything that we just said about God is already true. And then he displays his power in Genesis chapter 1. He creates creation. Romans 1-20 tells us that his eternal power has been clearly perceived in the things that have been made. That tells us why God did that. Why does Genesis 1 happen? Because God desires to show his eternal power. And you say, well, why is creation a demonstration of the power of God? Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? Creation is that God makes every molecule in the universe in six days and He does it by opening His mouth and saying, let there be light and there's light and let there be land and there's land and let there be waters gathered and there's waters gathered and let there be vegetation and living creatures and fish and everything happens because He opens His mouth and then six days later He rocks back and He sits down and He says, this is very good. This is a display of His power. This is how the heavens and the creation declares His glory. Does this sound like a God that you should worship? A God who holds His entire creation in His hand. In His hand are the depths of the earth. In His hand are the heights of the mountains. Does that sound like a God that you should worship? That you should come and bow down before the Lord, the Maker. So let's give this God the praise that He deserves in His church. The glorious praise that He deserves. And the question is this. Is this all that God has done? Is creation all that this God has done? No. God is Redeemer. God is Redeemer. Look at verse 7. For He is our God. And we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. This is the work of redemption. I want you to notice this in Psalm 95. Pay attention. The great God of verse 3 becomes our God in verse 7 and the rock of our salvation in verse 1. And the question is this, how in the world could that happen? We deserve the wrath of the great king and to be crushed by this great king. How in the world can sinful, rebellious man like me and like you, how can we be, how can God, the great God, be our God? How can this happen? And the answer, the only answer, is a bloody cross. A bloody cross. This is how this happens. That this great king, this sovereign overall, in royal majesty, named Jesus, and He comes down and He visits His creation as the lowest of servants. And Jesus comes and He's born into this world as the God-man humbles Himself all the way down into humanity. And He's here. And what does He do? He lives a righteous life. He lives a righteous life under the same law that you have broken thousands of times in your life. Jesus never sinned humbled himself, became a part of creation, and he never sinned. He never had a sinful thought. He never had a sinful attitude. And he never did a sinful action. But he didn't just stop there, right? He didn't ascend back to heaven and said, see, I told you you could do it. What did his sinless life do? It qualified Jesus to die as the Lamb without blemish, the Lamb of God, the atonement Lamb for the sins of the world. And Jesus did that. Jesus died for our sins. 
Jesus died for our sins. This is how the great God became our God. This is the work of redemption. This is the cross of Jesus. And so Jesus is there and He dies as a substitute for us. And unless you see this, you will never understand the Gospel. That as Jesus is hanging on His cross, God the Father, Isaiah 53, 6, he, our iniquities are laid on Him, on Jesus, and He becomes the sin bearer. God treats Jesus as though He were personally guilty for your sins. This is the substitution. Now think about this. That great King overall, the One who reigns in lonely majesty, He's sitting and He's nailed to a bloody cross. Do you see this? Does that sound like a God that you can worship, that you should worship? Do you see this? The great God becomes our God by hanging on His bloody cross. And He's the substitute. And He doesn't just bear our sins, He also bears our penalty. Jesus on the cross... He doesn't just bear our sins, but our penalty. God the Father doesn't just treat Him as a sinner. He pours out His wrath on God the Son. Jesus becomes the wrath bearer. And Jesus was not scratched for you. Jesus was not merely tortured for you. Jesus died for you. He died. He died, died, died. His heart stopped beating. He took a final breath and His body became a cold corpse because of your sin. The king left glory and now they stuff him in a tomb. This is for you. This is so the great God can become our God. And then you know the end of the story. Three days later, you can't keep the king of glory in the tomb. Jesus raises himself from the dead. He comes out of the tomb in a human body. Glorified humanity ascends to heaven and then sits down on the throne. And from this exalted place, King Jesus promises every single human being on the planet that if you will repent of your sins and if you will put your trust in this slaughtered lamb and this risen king you will be forgiven rebel you will be forgiven of every sin that you've ever committed and you far off one you will be called into a relationship with the living God we get God this is his promise and so we're Grace Community Church and we're a group of people. We respond to that gospel and we say, yes, Lord. And we come and we repent of our sins. We come to King Jesus and we bow down and we swear allegiance to Him. He is our Lord and we put our trust in Him. We don't trust in ourselves, in our own goodness. It'll never work. We renounce any self-righteousness and we fall on this Lamb and we trust in Jesus' sacrifice for us and we become he becomes our God in that exchange. And we become the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. And so the question is this. Does this sound like a God that you should worship? That you should lose yourself in unashamed adoration of? That you should bow down and praise this God? Then let's go after glorious praise of King Jesus every single week in His church. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Your Word is powerful, God. Lord, and I just confess to You, Lord, I long, God, for You to do something in, in the midst of this church, God, that lasts past the next hour. God, we pray that You would transform us by the renewing of Your mind. Lord, we desire to be a worshiping people. God, we pray that You would help us. Come upon us, Lord, in glory. Reveal Yourself to us, Lord. Confront us with Your presence even now, Lord Jesus. 
Confront us with your beauty. Confront us with your majesty, Lord. Confront us with your love. God, teach us to sing your praise. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.